guys. You guys can have a seat. Man, I said, yeah, I know. I said, pick some jazz music, and that's how we're going to begin the new year. A little jazzy, nice little beat to it. Well, welcome. My name is Greg. Hey, if we've never met before, I would love to meet you before you leave, um, but I have the privilege of being the pastor here at Outpost Community Church, and where the church is a what? It's a people, right? It's not a, it's not a place. We meet in a rec center, but we get together to be God's people. And uh, we're starting a new series, starting a new year with a new series. We finished 1 Corinthians. If you missed that, there's a YouTube video online. You can see the last chapter. But we're going to be starting by talking about being a city on a hill. Um, that's the title of this series for this month. So um, I was talking with Zach this past week. We were talking about this idea. And he told me a story about a friend of his that he had in college who was from Australia. And he went home to visit his family. And his granddad actually lived outside of the city in the bush. Uh, I guess what they call that. In Australia, the bush. Um, around here, we just call it sagebrush. But uh, so he was out there, he's staying with his uh, granddad, and in the middle of the night, he had to go to the restroom. And when he went to the restroom, he didn't turn any of the lights on, and he was in there. And as he was standing there, and the wall right in front of him, he saw something was there, and he didn't know what it was. And so he's leaning in, and he's still going to the restroom, okay? And he's looking at this, he's what is that? And he couldn't tell what it was, so he leaned in a little closer, and he goes, what is that? And still couldn't tell what it was. So apparently the light switch was close enough, so he reaches over, flips the light switch on, and it's one of those giant bird-eating tarantulas is on the wall right in front of him. He just took off screaming, ran out the room, stumbling through the darkness, freaking out. You know, I I use that analogy, one, because it's a funny way to start, but two, it's a great analogy of uh, what it's like to walk in darkness. And Proverbs 4, 18 and 19 says that the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, shining brighter and brighter till full day. And I would say that's what it's like been following Jesus. It's, it gets brighter and brighter, and you get, begin to see with more clarity the way the world works. But verse 19 says that the way of the wicked is like deep darkness, and they do not know over what they stumble. The problem is, guys, we are the church, and we're church planted here in Outpost, or here in Cody. And Cody is in this world that is a dark place. And it's a dark place where a lot of people are stumbling around in the darkness, not knowing what they're stumbling over. And they are looking for hope. They're looking for something that's secure. But it's hard to find in the darkness. Things that you think look good could turn out to be bird-eating tarantulas, right? Things that look like it's a good idea that the world sells us turn out to be cliff edges that ruin our lives. And we are called to be, as Matthew 5, Jesus tells us, we're called to be cities on a hill. And what's a city on a hill? A city on a hill is like a refuge. It's a place of hope. And the, as you can imagine, in Jesus' day, when you walk uh, from one city to another, if you find yourself walking out there in the darkness, it could be a really dangerous place. You can get trouble. But when you see a city in the distance, it can be a place of hope. It could be a place of healing. It could be a place of renewal and refuge. And that's exactly what Jesus has in mind. Let me read this to you real quick. Matthew 5, 14. It says, you are the light of the world. You is you the church, you are the light of the world. You're like, oh, well, that's supposed to be Jesus. No, it's Jesus in you. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house, all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So, This month, we want to talk about our leadership. We discussed and we prayed, what are four things that if you saw uh, Jesus' church and Cody doing these four things, you go, man, now that is a city on a hill. That has to be God's people. 
And so those four things that we're going to talk about, the first one we're going to talk about is love. That we're going to be, we need to be known by our love, and particularly our love for one another as a church. Now, I would say the church is not known for its love for one another, right? Maybe the, uh, the world has seen us to be known as eating one another, devouring one another, running in darkness ourselves, stumbling over our conflicts. So the second thing we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about reconciliation, that we resolve our conflict. We deal with our stuff. We uh, seek forgiveness and we extend forgiveness. We're going to talk about um, uh, that we share the gospel. The greatest gift that we can ever give anybody is the hope and the healing of the gospel of Jesus. And last, we're going we're to talk about we as a people are called to be a hilariously generous people. Seems like a weird word, but you're going to see in four weeks, so don't miss it. We're called to be a hilariously generous people. So today we're going to talk about, we're going to start our journey. We're talking about we need to be known for our love. And so before we start, okay, and kick into this, which I'm so excited about, and hopefully you're excited. It's a new year. Some, some good stuff to talk about. Let me start with some prayer. Okay? Father, as we dive into 1 John 4, I just feel so humbled that you would use me. I'm humbled that you've ever used me. And I pray you would speak to me and all of us. Ephesians 1 tells us that if you don't help our eyes open and our ears open, our hearts will never be open. And so I pray that this morning we would be open to receive your love, to know your love, and extend that love to others. Be with us, Lord, I pray. We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, and I'm going to start at verse 7. So let me give you a second to get there. 1 John 4 chapter, or verse 7, okay, it's at the, almost, almost the very end of your Bible if you want to rush over to get to that. If not, it's going to be on the screen. Let me read from verse 7. Listen to these words. It says this. This is John writing to the church. He says, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So when John opens up, the first thing he does is he addresses them. He gives them a name. And what is that name? It's beloved. He calls them beloved. And that word beloved is a word agape toy. Okay? All right? That's not something you're going to find at Toys R Us or on Amazon. Agape toy is basically loved ones, you who are loved. And you can see here and there, a lot of you guys have heard that word agape. It's a Greek word for love. But it's distinct and it's different than any kind of love uh, that you normally experience. And he calls them this. In other words, this is their identity. You who are loved, loved ones. And agape is different. It's like this very distinct uh, Christian love. It's different than eros, which is romantic love, right? We're coming up. February's going to be here. You see red everywhere. We're going to have to buy those obligatory chocolates and roses and all that stuff. All right? But it's not that. Because a lot of you in this room have been romantically in love with somebody. But have we also been hurt? Have you ever been hurt in love? Yeah? None of you want to be honest. You're like, I don't want to talk about it. Right? Okay, I see you. All right, wake up. You're all right. Um, so what does it do? When you're hurt in love, you kind of want to, you don't go into it full send, right? You're going to be kind of calm. I'm going to date you a few times, see what kind of crazy woman you are, and then we'll see if we want to keep going, right? You've been hurt before. But then there's also, on the other side, there's phileo or friendship love, general affection for one another, right? But have any of you ever been hurt by a friend? Raise your hand at all. Be honest, okay? Keep your hands up. Have you ever, have you ever hurt a friend? 
Yeah, there we go. More hands are going up. All right, so, but that right there, it's like this general kindness, this very Mormon-y type love for people just like being a nice friend, a nice guy, right? But in that, we've also have some reservations because in that, we've been hurt before. I've been hurt by friends. I don't know if I can trust you, all right, bro? And, but here's the thing, agape is not that. Agape is this unreserved, full send, massive, surprising, wonderful love. It is all out, wide open, beautiful love. You know who shows this better than anybody outside of Jesus? Those with special needs. They show it in a massive way. There's a book that I read, Ragamuffin Gospel, and Brendan Manning, who wrote that book, actually talks about this experience where he went to go visit a guy. And um, this uh, man had, um, I think, three kids with Down syndrome, and one of them was in his 40s. And as he's approaching the house, this, this young, or not young man, but this man with Down syndrome came out of the house, came running to him, never met him before, came running to him, grabbed his face and kissed him. Now, I'm not going to say that's agape, but it's in the realm of agape. <laughs> Just full sin, wide open. My wife was, went to go see a movie with our kids, and she said, uh, they went to go see Sing 2. And they were sitting there and said, on the front row, there was a group of kids who were special needs. And she said, they were just belly laughing the whole time. Why? Because they do everything full sin. I think God's gift to humanity is those with Down syndrome. They show us this. That's what agape is. Think of the word agape. What's agape? It's like wide open mouth, surprising, wonderful, like all out love. And what does John call those people? You are wide open, wondrously, full sin loved. And because you are, he commands them. He tells them to do something. He commands them. He says, let us love one another. Now, this love right here, it's also got the word agape in it. He said, let us, full sin, wide open, surprisingly love one another. You are loved ones. Now you go and love others. And he commands them to do it. And as your pastor, I tell you, hey, I command you, love one another. I'm telling you to do that. But here's the thing, I'm telling you with humility because the reality is I need to hear this command as well because I need to love others. First Timothy 1.5 is kind of in the realm. John is kind of loving them by even telling them to do this and I want to love you like First John uh, or First Timothy 1.5 says. It says the aim of our charge, the aim of my commanding you, the aim of me as a pastor in this gymnasium telling you what to do is love. The issues from a pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith. Guys, as sincere as I can be, you're loved. And so you should love others. Now, why? Why should I do that? You should do it because God loves you the same way. That's what John says. He says, love, agape, full sin, wide open, jaw-dropping, wondrous, full-speed love is from God. And at the end of verse 8, what does it say? It says, God, listen, in the Greek, God, theos, is agape. God is love. Wide, just pedal the metal, full throttle love. That's what God is. Guys, I'll tell you right now, there's one thing that we cannot think enough about in 2022, and it's God is love. He is deep, rich love. All love is from God. I want you to think about that. Think about the false beliefs you have about God. What are they? God's not good. He's not going to come through for me. He doesn't love me. Where's he been? What does this dark world feel about God? Where's God anyways? Where was there when I had cancer? What happened when my son died? What about this? Where's God? If God was really God, 
you know, I'd be a millionaire and uh, then I'd know. Where do these false beliefs come from? Where do they come from? They come from Satan. If you go all the way back to the very beginning of humanity, the beginning of your history, Satan comes and he comes to the first two human beings who are living in innocence with God, enjoying his agape, his love, wide open for them. And Satan comes to Eve, and he doesn't come to her with a stick to beat her. He comes at her with an idea. And the idea is, God's not good. You better not trust him. Now, Satan does, is trying to remove God from the throne of their life. Now, Satan's not trying to sit on that throne. So long as God's not on it, he knows he's going to get a return on his investment for that idea. So what is discipleship? Discipleship is the opposite of what Satan does. Satan comes with the idea that God's not good. We come in discipleship and say, hey, God is the only good. That's who he is. God is agape, and you are agape by love. You are agape toy. You are beloved by this God. Amen? Amen. Praise God for that. Hallelujah. That's why we sing songs. Is because we no longer are under the lie of what Satan brings to us. Instead, because of God's word, because of God's people, and because they loved us and they told us the gospel, we got to have reconciliation with God because God is love. And it says this, anybody who believes in God, if you trust God, what does it say? You are born of God. What does that mean? Well, that born in the Greek word, there actually has, uh, it comes from the same word as generation. Listen, if you believe in Jesus and you are a Christian in this room, you are the, of the generation of God. Isn't that cool? You are God's people, God's generation, born of God. That's what you are. It actually says in uh, John 1, 12 through 13. John 1, 12, you should absolutely memorize. Make a note, memorize it. In 2022, hey, listen now, post friends, you're memorizing scripture, all right? That's what you're committing to this year. I'm helping you realize that you just committed to it, okay? John 1, 12. Here's why you should memorize this one. Listen to what it says. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. You're born of God. You're the generation of God. That's who you are. That is who you are. And so, because you're of the generation of God, you're born of God, there should be some family resemblance between you and Jesus, Right? Have you ever seen these families where they all just look the same? You, go, you look at their kids, you go, oh, man, you guys are very clearly Monfeld boys, right? You're just like, you all look the same, all right? Um, for instance, let me show you. This is a picture of my mom. You're going to be able to see the family resemblance right here. Check this out. Can you see it? That's my mom. Don't be laughing at my mom. No, that's not my mom, obviously. There's no family resemblance right, right there, right? But check out this picture. This is my mom. Does that not look like me with long blonde hair? If I shave my face and grow my hair out, I look like that, minus the 80s fur vest my mom is wearing. I can't believe she's wearing that. The 80s were something else, y'all. But that's my mom. You can see the resemblance, right? A lot of us, here's what's happening. We're claiming to be Christians, but we don't look at all. It's like the first picture. We don't look at all like Jesus. There's no family resemblance. When people look at us, they go, wait a second. <laughs> hey, that's funny. You're a Christian? Man, laughable. I've never seen that in you. And so here's the thing. 
We're called to resemble God. And so a quick way to do an audit to figure out whether or not you are following Jesus and you're believing you're born of God is to look at the way that you love one another. Just ask yourself, man, am I treating other people, including my enemies, the way that God treated me when I was an enemy? Do I treat people that way? Or do I hold things against them? I'm unforgiving, not kind, not there to meet their needs, selfish with all my time, talent, and treasure. It's all mine. How do we do at that? Now, here's the thing. The answer for everybody in the room, and most especially me, is we're not doing that great. We're not that good at it. City on a hill, we're like a lamp under a, a basket. All right? And I think we're not doing that well, especially because we're not comparing to each other, right? It's not me comparing to you, you comparing to me. I'm not doing that great. Look at what Greg does. No, it's compared to Jesus. He's the author, the perfecter. He's the one we're looking to as an example. Not me, Jesus. And when I look at Jesus, I go, man, God, I got some stuff to work on. So here's what happens, all right? There are three things that can tend to happen. We can get distracted. You ever get distracted by the world and it distracts you from loving others? Man, I'm just busy. Got a lot of stuff got to do. Got a job got to be. I got to get kids to places. I just don't have time to stop. I see them, but I can't do it. We're just distracted. Also, we get distorted. Our love can get distorted. We start to confuse agape-type love as eros or agape-type love as just being a friend. Or it just gets mixed up in a lot of things that it's just really not. It's actually far greater than it's Jesus-type love. Or... We're just underdeveloped. And I want to tell you, you're probably just underdeveloped. If any of these, you're definitely underdeveloped, okay? Which means that, listen, you're growing. And you've heard me say this before. It's okay to be where you are, right? It's okay. Let that wash over you. God knows where you are. He knew when you were going to get there. You're where you are. That's okay. It's just not okay for you and I to stay where we're at. We've got to move on from this underdeveloped, weak love that we're in, and we've got to graduate more and more to be more like Jesus in love with agape towards other people. Now, how do we do that, Greg? I'm so glad you, thank you for asking me, because I'd love to tell you. It's actually in my notes. You know how we do that? So the way that we grow in Jesus' love for one another is that we spend more time looking at Jesus' love for us. At Outpost, we call it abiding in God's love. John 15, 5, Jesus gives an analogy that I think really hits home. It'll make sense to your brain. He says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Hey, that word nothing in the Greek means nothing. Nothing. You can do nothing. And so what it's saying is if you really want to grow in this really rich agape type love for other people and stop reacting with distracted, distorted, or undeveloped love, you've got to be with Jesus. That's the solution. Now, what I tend to do and you probably tend to do is we look at the fruit and we try to change the fruit at the end of the vine. That's not how it works, guys. If I could just stop doing these things and start doing those things, all right? That's not how it works. It's not just behavioral modification. It's not what it is. What it is, is taking the root of who you are, which is your heart, and plugging it deeper and deeper into the source of life and love, which is God. You know what you need in 2022 to be a city on a hill more than anything else? You need to spend more time with Jesus, thinking about his love. It's not more church services. They're helpful. It's not more Bible studies. It's not more community group meetings. It's not more sing songs. 
It's not those things, guys. They're all helpful in a way. But the best thing you could do in 2022 is not go on a diet. It's spend time with Jesus. And listen, you're beloved, which means he also wants to spend time with you. You hear that? Man, I need to hear that. A lot of times I think that God doesn't have time for me. He's got all the time of eternity to spend with me. Isn't that awesome? Okay, maybe it's just me. You heathens. So the point is, here's the point. To know God is to know love. To know God is to know love, and you should have family resemblance. Now, there's no greater, like I said, there's no greater way to grow, to know God more and to grow in that love than to remember what Christ did. And that's what John does next in our next point, which is love is life-giving. Let me say it again. Love is life-giving. Look what John says, verse 9, chapter 4. In this is love, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, you who are loved If God so loved us, we ought to love one another. All right, verse 9, he says that the love of God has been made manifest, which means you guys know what that means, right? It means to be revealed. It's been put on display with us. It's fanaru is what the Greek word is, and we all need more fanaru in our lives, right? You didn't know it, but now you do. We need to see the, the love of God manifested, and he said it's been manifested to us, and the world needs more of God's love manifested to it. Now, how do we do that? Well, let me use an analogy. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I got to sit with my friend, Rob, and we sat and we were uh, just talking about the gospel and discussing it. And I just, on the spot, by God's grace, came up with this analogy. It would kind of be like this, all right? Rob's married to Candace. Candace is a nurse. And I said, Rob, imagine um, that your wife came to you and she said, listen, here, okay, Rob, um, I'm not going to give you anything you want, all right? No, no physical intimacy, no kindness, no love. I'm not going to cook for you unless you do these things. Is she manifesting a love towards him? No, that's manifesting manipulation towards him, right? And I said, Rob, would you probably do a few of those things? Yeah, begrudgingly, right? Probably would do some of those things. Now, what does our culture do? It does the same thing that churches do. Churches come in and be like, hey, you're going to do these things, right? You're going to show up, you're going to pay, you're going to shut up, and then you're going to go about your business. But we're going to keep this thing going, okay? That's what you're going to do. And people make two choices, the same choices they make in marriage. You know what? I'm out on this. You're a crazy lady, and I don't want to be married to you anymore. And they divorce and leave. Or your church, y'all are crazy. You're legalistic. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. I'm sick of this. I said, but Rob, what if you have terminal cancer, and you're going through chemo, and your face, you're just wrapped around that toilet. You got vomit on you. You got vomit on the toilet. And she's coming over, and she's cleaning you up. She's cleaning the toilet up. She gets you into bed. Once she gets you into bed and gets you the things you need, she goes over, and she puts the kids down, she gets the girls to sleep, and then because she's a nurse and she's working the night shift, she leaves and she goes and works the whole night shift, comes back in the morning, the kids got to get up now, and so she's got to get them ready for school, she gets them ready for school, cooks some breakfast, cooks you some breakfast, comes over, cleans you up again because you just vomited all over yourself again because this cancer's destroying you, and uh, then she finally gets you into bed and then she just crashes. I said, what would you do for her? He said, just about anything. I said, that's manifesting love to you. Now I want to tell you this. What John just said is Jesus has done far more for the cancer of our sin than Candace could ever do for her husband and that you could ever do for anybody else. Jesus manifested it 
not because we were so lovely and so good. He actually says, it was because of no action of your own. He didn't do it because you were a good guy. He didn't do it because you got a clean haircut. He didn't do it because you gave to a church or you showed up to some service. You have nothing, you bring nothing. The cancer of your sin, in fact, the cancer of your sin is reaping some major consequences in your life. In fact, you're a dead man. You're a dead man. You're a dead woman in sin. That's who you were. You had a death sentence. It was terminal cancer. And here's the thing. Sin, it stores up consequences. You know what the greatest consequence of sin is? It's not what it does to other people. The wrath of God, the deserved just wrath of God was being stored up for me because of my constant rebellion against God. My entire life's worth of sin. Even sin I hadn't even committed yet. Stored up in wrath. And that wrath would one day have to be satisfied. It's either going to be satisfied on me and I'll face the eternal judgment because of my open rebellion against the God who loved me and created the universe. Or it says this, right? The son was sent to be our propitiation. You know what that word propitiation means? It means to satisfy. Jesus, all of my sin, guys, was satisfied on the cross in Jesus Christ. It's all gone. And so for me, there is no more wrath stored up. Romans 8.1 tells me there's no condemnation for those who believe in Jesus. I've been born of God. I'm in the generation of God. I am loved. I'm beloved. I'm agape by Jesus. And it wasn't because I was a good guy. It's not what it was. And it's not because you're a good guy. That's what Jesus has done for us. Man, listen, 2022... If you thought only about that all year long, I'm telling you right now, your life would be radically changed, forever changed. That's what we need to think about. Now, what do we do practically about that? Well, it depends on what side of the cross you land on. What you do next, based on what I just said, depends on what side of the cross you land on. What do I mean by that? Well, when Jesus was crucified in uh, Luke 23, it tells us this, that two men, two others who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him on either side of Jesus. And when they came to the place that was called the skull, where they crucified Jesus and the criminals, one was on his right, one was on his left. You're on either side. You're either on his right or you're on his left. Listen to me. You will. Somebody's going to pay for your sin. Somebody. And he says this in verse 39, one of the criminals who was hanged railed at him, just starts mocking and screaming at Jesus. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself in us. I mean, think about the pride of this man. The man is being justly punished and he's screaming at Jesus. He's doing the exact same thing that the Romans and the Pharisees are actually doing down on the ground. Hey, if he said he's Jesus, he could save himself. Save yourself and save others. And he jumps right in and he says, if you're Jesus, save us. And we come at Jesus a lot of the same ways. Hey, if you are really Jesus, then you should heal my cancer. If you're really Jesus, you'll find me a husband. If you're really Jesus, you'll get me a nice job. If you're really Jesus, I'll get into that college. If you're really Jesus, I'll be able to play on varsity. Whatever the case, you're just like coming at Jesus and you're railing at him saying, if you're really God, you will do these things. I'd say the Bible calls it pride, but I would just say we all call it pride. That's what that is. But listen to this. The other guy on the other side of the cross, but the other rebuked him saying, do you, do you not fear God? 
since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Like, are you an idiot? And we indeed justly, is what he says, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, listen to this, this statement of faith. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The audacity to say that to Jesus is also pretty crazy. But it says that he believed that Jesus could do it. What's Jesus say next? And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. You know, what that, you know what that response that Jesus just gave to him was? Beloved, you're going to be with me. Listen, my application encouragement for you is different depending on what side of the cross you're on. If you're on the one side where you're just still in pride and you're like, you know what, I don't need God. I want to tell you, your life, your spiritual life is, is, is as if you were being nailed to a cross right now. You are penned and you can do nothing. You can't separate. And listen, you don't have to be there. You don't have to face the condemnation for your sin. You don't have to. John chapter 3 tells us you don't have to. It says actually that God so loved the world, you being a part of it, he loved you. He so loved you that he sent his only son that whoever believes should not perish but have eternal life. That's what he wants to give you. It says that he did not send his son to the world to condemn the world. You think that God is just condemning and judgmental and all these things. You believe that because you believe in Satan and his lies. That God's not good and he has nothing for you. He just wants to rip you off. No, it's, it's everything, this whole story of the gospel is the complete opposite. He didn't come to condemn the world, but that he might save you through Jesus. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but listen to this. But whoever does not believe in Jesus, you stand condemned already. You're nailed to the cross. You're stuck. And good luck getting down. If you decide not to believe that Jesus was sent to earth, lived a perfect life, died for sinners, and died their death, then rose three days later in victory, your sentence is set because you have not believed in the only name of the Son of God. And if that's the case, I just want to tell you, as your friend, the most loving thing I can ever do for you, I want to beg you to turn around and not go that way anymore. In Christianity, we call that repentance. Repentance is just turning around. Don't go that way anymore. You don't have to do it. He loves you. But if you're on the other side of the cross, and many of you are, you're on the other side of the cross, with humility, by the grace of God, you recognize that you're a sinner and you could do nothing. You felt it. I don't even have to, I don't have to tell you you're a sinner. You guys know it. You feel it. And you recognize it. And if that's you, then I want to tell you that my application for you is this. You need to walk as Jesus walks. You need to pick up your cross and you need to follow him in love and die every day so that others might live. That's agape. Lay it down. Is it your worst enemy? Is it your neighbor who put the fence two feet on your side? You know, there's worse things in the entire world. Is it your family member? Man, I can lose it on my family and be so ungracious and not like Jesus. And I've done it. Whatever it is. Listen, we, what we need to do is the three things we're going to be talking about the next three weeks. Guys, we could do it by reconciling, asking forgiveness for the things that we've made mistakes on. Man, that would show some love. Extending forgiveness to people that you're like, man, I will never forgive them. In Jesus, you can. And if you don't, I'll say, yeah, that's not Jesus in you. We can also embody the gospel and share that gospel with others. When's the last time you shared the gospel with somebody far from Jesus, guys? You're like, well, I love Jesus. No, you don't. You love yourself. 
If you love Jesus, you'll love what Jesus loves. And what does Jesus love? You and your neighbor. And also, we could be hilariously generous with our time, talents, and treasure. Just be hilarious. We got, I got time. Now, you don't have time for everybody, but you got time. You got talents. All of you are talented and gifted in certain ways. You heard me talk about it for like nine weeks in Corinthians. You're gifted, and God wants to use that. He gave it to you so you could bless others. You guys have treasure. You have money. You have food. You have water. You have resource. Bless others. Invite them in. Feed them. Care for them. And when you do this, it is life-giving, not just for you, but it's life-giving to others, which leads to our last point, which is this, that love is a beacon to God. Not to how cool and awesome and Christian you are. It's a beacon to God. And this is what verse 12 says. Listen to this. Most important thing you hear at the end of this. It says this, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God's, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. It seems like he's saying like three different statements and he kind of is and they seem kind of unrelated. But the first thing he says is no one has ever seen God. I want to ask you, anybody in this room ever seen God? No, you haven't. So it looks like John's right. Okay, so there's one place where the Bible's right. We haven't seen God, right? And that's what the world, some of their biggest problem is, right? I've never seen God. Can I get an appointment with him? Where's he even at? But you know what the real problem is? They wouldn't have to see him if they would see him in us. And that's what John is trying to say. It's not that just people have never seen God. They've never seen God's people sometimes. I was having a conversation with a friend this past week when we were eating. And I was like, look, think about the fact that we spend so, many time, so much time around each other in Christians, you've got to realize there are more non-Christians in the world than there are Christians. And there are, there are a, a ton of us who are saying we're Christians, but we're as Christian as being a white guy related to that Asian woman. We don't relate at all. In fact, we're probably not Christians. And people, the people of this world are not seeing you. They need to see you. And that's exactly what he's saying. And and so if you go to John 13, 34, and 35, this is a verse we quote around here often because it's the vision of our church. It's this, a new commandment I give to you, a new commandment I give to you is what Jesus says, that you love one another. Now that's not a new commandment, is it? To love one another. Did you guys know the Bible said that long before Jesus said it? Love one another. What are you talking about, Jesus? Well, look what he says next. Just as I have loved you. How has Jesus loved us, guys? What's the Greek word? Agape. Full send, wide open, grab your face, kiss you, hold you, full throttle love. Just as I have loved you, I want you to do that to each other. Just love each other. And what happens when we do that? This is what John is trying to say in John 4, 12. says this, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for another. In other words, look, hey, they won't be asking to see God anymore because they'll be looking at you and going, I see God. I see God all over these people. Go hang out with them for a little bit. You don't believe in God, but you will go, man, they do, and they are different. That is a generation that I've never been around. Yeah, because they're born of God. That's a beacon. That's a city on a hill and that's what we're called to be we're not called to be listen to me listen guys and, and if you come from a mormon background you're mormon right now listen i don't hate mormons but i sure as heck hate mormonism and this is going online and i'll say it again i hate mormonism because it's this false idea that if you're a nice person you're going to go to some celestial heaven with a bunch of planets that are yours that's not the bible you know what the bible says it says die for each other we're not called to be nice guys we're called to love and lay our lives down. 
We're not called to just be romantically in love and be just like these general, nice, you know, friendly people. We're called to love, and it is a language that is completely different. And that's why our Jesus is the real Jesus, because he's the biblical Jesus, because he lays his life down for people. Now, let me give you one thing that you cannot do. You go, we've got to be a city on a hill. So let's go get in our city, let's hide in our walls, let's throw up some lights, and let's just hope they see it when they go by. That's the church, right? Man, I hope they find our church service, right? I sometimes tell people, I even asked a guy this morning, how did you find us? Right? We don't have any signs. Not really, anyways, because I get blown down. Um, we're called, listen to me, you are called to be the city on a hill. You are called to be the lamp. You are called to be the light. You are. You are the city. It's not our church. It's not outpost. It's you. You are the church. That's why I opened up the very beginning with the church as a people, not a place. When they're not trying to get to a place, God's trying to get them to you. And sometimes you just need to get to them. Uh, last month, two months ago now, last year, actually. Um, I was coming back from Butte. I was at this event with a bunch of friends, and we were coming back, and Zach and I were riding in the car together. And it was just icy and snow, like it was a crazy snowstorm, super icy. We saw four semis off the side of the road, just kind of dangerous, right? So we're cruising, going real slow. Well, we are renting out our car on something called Turo. Don't do it. Don't saturate the market. Just let me and my wife do it, okay? And we're renting out our car, and um, this couple who are from L.A. were renting it, and they went up to Billings, and on their way back, the snowstorm just absolutely stocked them in their tracks. And they've just never driven in snow. They've lived in L.A. their whole life. And so they're in Bridger, of all places. And they're stuck there, and they're texting us and all that. And I said, look, hey, if you, can you guys stay in Bridger for two hours? Because I'll be there in two hours. I'll jump in the car with you. And they said, absolutely. And um, anyways, so we drove two hours. We finally get to them. And it's kind of rough, but it's doable. And so I get out of my car, I jump in their car, and I'm sitting with these people. You, it's, all of you go, it's so awkward. But it was great. We just got in the car. What's your name? What's your name? We talk. And we just got on the road and we drove 35 miles an hour. You know how it is. It's like two hours now to get to Cody. But we get in the car and we're talking. And I get to share the gospel with them. We get to talk about Jesus, talk about where they come from, just asking stuff about their life. And then we get on, my wife shot them a message that, hey, you guys are going to stay with us. Is that okay? And they said, sure. So stay in our house. We get home. Bonnie's already prepared a room for these people, like towels and stuff all out. And, and then when she cooks a meal for them, the house is clean. We, we feed them, we hang, we laugh. And uh, we just tell stories. They do, they're not in love with Jesus, just put it at that point. And it's just so funny and fun. And we, and we loved him. And the next morning, got up 4 a.m., took him. We went to go to my favorite place to get a crepe, right, and filled him with some coffee. And then we drove him to the airport, dropped him off, said bye. And I'm telling you right now, that, that's what it looks like to be a city on a hill. Now you go, well, did they come to know Jesus? It's like, that's not the point. The point is to love them. That's the point where they go, there's something different about those guys. There's something different. And I'm not trying to brag about me. I'm just trying to say the opportunities are as just as simple as that. Open your home, open a bed, open your fridge, set your table, love and spend time with them, care for them. Ask them about their life. Where do they come from? All these things. You know what's crazy? You want to see the love of God being poured back out? They went to Trader Joe's, bought two boxes worth of stuff and mailed it to my wife. My wife went, Lord, you are amazing. <laughs> they agaped us. They agape us, and we got to sow a seed, we got to plant some water. He sent me a book, um, in a Christian book. He's like, hey, you should read this. I think you'd love it. I was like, thanks. It's awesome. I'd already read it twice. <laughs> but I didn't have the heart or the love to tell him I already did. So if he listens to this, he's going to be like, what? <laughs> Guys, 
We're not called to be a city on a hill and that we hide behind walls. We're called to be a city that travels, that goes to them, jumps in the car with them and says, come with me, come to my home, come into my kitchen. I want you to eat when you spend time with me. I want to know you and I want to show you God's love. And then I want to tell you why I'm showing you God's love. That's the difference. I want to tell you why I'm showing God's love because I wouldn't be sharing if it wasn't for God loving me. You hear that? Hey, friends, let's be a city on a hill this week. You've got opportunities to love people all around you. Let's do it. Let me pray. But Jesus, oh God, I'm so thankful you love me. I was stumbling in the darkness. I was contemplating suicide. I was addicted to so many things. I was alone. I was scared. I was a horrible friend. Uh, and I was just running deep in sin. But like a great light through your people, the church, you came to me and you showed me the goodness and the kindness through your people of your love. And because of that, for the last 16 years, I've got to walk in, in the dawn, shining brighter and brighter. And God, I'm telling you right now with the rest of my friends in here, God, we cannot wait until full day. I pray, come Lord Jesus, and come soon. But until then, I pray that this your church, which is not Greg's church, I pray that these people would be a city on a hill who would love because they are so agape by you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.